the broadcast I was listening to when I was washing the car centered on a bunch of different things, but one of them was the guy had a good discussion about what was all bluster and what was legit coming out of Putin's mouth and the new butcher of Syria who is leading the army. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's interesting. The I think since day one, most people have had the question of what is, what's a bluff and what isn't. I think the more time goes on and the more the Russian military gets butchered by, you know, a relatively minor power by comparison, it does continue to seem to be just nothing but bluster. They don't really have the kahunas to do the things they claim they're going to do, but at the same time, uh, they also don't have the competence to do anything useful to succeed in their ridiculous goals. So, I don't know, I mean, it's 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 one of those situations where you keep, somebody keeps getting beat and beat and beat, and they, you're like, are, are they going to go crazy mode on us? Are they going to go nuts? And then the, I guess so far the answer is no. There's a technical discussion to be had on the specifics of, you know, corruption and the investment and maintenance of these certain doomsday weapons, but I don't, is it that that's holding them back, or is it the geopolitical realities of them using these things means the whole world basically turns their back on them? Well, what's interesting is the, one of the things I think it's, Macron, the leader of France, has said that they will not respond to the use of nuclear weapons in Ukraine, that they will only respond if they are attacked. And yet there are more than enough people beginning to talk about the fallout, radiation fallout that would sweep westward. The other thing... It would have a dramatic effect on Europe, period, regardless of where the explosion happens. I mean, it's no different than Chernobyl. And they're also talking about the fact that these would, if they use nukes, that they would use tactical. And the thing that people don't understand what tactical means is that it's it's a definition that has both specific and broad terminology. In other words, a tactical nuke today is many times more powerful than those that were used on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So potentially, yeah. There's, and there's a ve- there's a wide array of of yield as far as nuclear weapons. So, yeah. So you know, if they destroy Kiev which I don't know what's the population approximately there. A couple million. So you kill a couple million people. Does that get the world angry enough to do something? Well, you've had multiple leaders in Europe. I don't remember specifically who, but a, uh, a high-ranking European Union official. You've had us. We've had, you've had the British. Um, for the most part, kind of come out in a synchronized fashion and say that if Russia uses nuclear weapons we will not respond using nuclear weapons likely but what we will do is we will we will annihilate what's left of the russian military and that was that's a quote like we will shred their ability to even defend themselves because they're dangerous and they're they're problem and we have the capability of doing that. I mean, I think the thing people have to really keep in mind is in the, in the broad picture, 
Russia beat its chest since the end of the Soviet Union and tried to bluster about how amazing they are. They have these great weapons, blah, blah, blah. Very similar to what China has, has emulated. But basically, I mean, I, what a rounding error for supplies so far has been able to allow, has, that we have donated has allowed... Now, in some cases, it's not a rounding error. In some cases, it's pretty significant. But in general, compared to the vast stockpiles of NATO in the U.S. De Department of Defense in general, this small amount of supplies has been able to completely destroy our number one lar largest military adversary. And that's the problem that they're facing, is they don't have a way out. And we are completely prepared. There was a, um, a reporter asked... Uh, uh, Stolenberg, the head of NATO right now, um, asked him if uh, if Russia was to utilize uh, nuclear weapons in NATO. Uh, oh, maybe maybe it wasn't regarded that. Maybe it was. Um, it, it, he asked uh, about how Russia has this uh, ha is is visibly lacking in strategic missiles and other uh, basically high tech uh, conventional weapons. And it shows in, in their, what they're using on the battlefield now because they're immensely inaccurate and really dangerous, to be honest. And a lot of those missiles that were recently launched, would they, they go back to what I call the Scud area. They're, I mean, these things are... Six, 1960s. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're pulling rockets out that are from the 60s and 70s to fight this war, then... If NATO muscles up and moves in, there's no way they can defend themselves unless they, they go nuclear. And if they do, then then they will be annihilated. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing that's made clear. So this this guy, in the context of that discussion, was he asked Stolenberg about um, whether or not NATO has a similar problem. Like, do we have sufficient stockpiles to handle any situation that arises? And he is simply, he had a one-word answer, no. Because we don't. Like, we haven't used hardly any of that stuff. You know, uh, there was uh, some hyperbolic articles in some newspapers recently in the past couple weeks or months about uh, artillery supplies. And it's like, yeah, we have some artillery depots that we've depleted to levels that they, we haven't seen in a long time. But the thing is, as munitions expire, they have to be used. And I think a large part of the calculus for our part is we use our stockpiles, we send things over. One, if not now, when the hell are these things going to be used? Never. I mean, even 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, the number of these munitions that we used, a lot of them, like, yeah, we, we resupplied some of them, but we just didn't use as much as people think. Uh, especially, I mean, because we just use a lot of smart munitions, things, you know. Uh, higher accuracy missiles and things like that. Um, so it's an interesting kind of conundrum to consider. Well, you know, when it comes to a war, you never have enough bullets. It's always the case. Yeah, you never do. You always have a shell crisis. For whatever you plan for, you always run out. And, and the thing that I have been completely surprised at is how very, very little discussion in the mainstream press, not that I follow it that much, but in the Wall Street Journal, Market Watch, Bloomberg, 
all of the, you know, I, I call them second tier items. Sure. I don't mean that negatively, but I mean, that's the, you know, common, the common man, woman, go to your local news and sure. yeah. yeah, but there's that second tier data. There is, it's not the Bureau of Economic Analysis. It's not the Census Bureau. It's not, you know, hardcore industry reports, but how little reporting is going on out there on manufacturing of weapons right now. It's got to be going off. It's got to be off the charts. That place near us in Boise. I mean, do you think they're doing three shifts? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, that's a whole discussion in of itself. Yeah, every yeah, and, and and that's the thing is like, I think a lot of people need to get ready for stupid behavior by the Russians, and that includes nukes. I mean, they've proved themselves to be stupid. If this it's is a question of whether or not the other elements of leadership in the country that have a significant amount of influence are willing to let something get that far. And so far, I don't think they they have. But at the same time, Putin is still in power, so I didn't think that would last. So yeah, no, I I, I would have thought by now that he'd be out of there. Yeah, at least for a show of face. Well, it, I'll tell you what this does do. We're going to take a break and come back. It shows you how widespread the influence the Russians are here in the U.S., both on the left and the right. Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Recorded in the break room of the Truesdell Professional Building. This episode of the Paul Truesdell Podcast is sponsored by Fixed Cost Financial. During the recording, Paul Sr. and Paul II were visited by a family member who provided some solid insight that will be shared. Okay, so we had a little break there. Al came by. She said something that was interesting, though. We're just, we won't pick up where we were left off. I don't know where we were at. But we're just, I want to jump over what she said. Nuclear for weapons is overrated, and for power, it's underrated. Yeah. I thought it was, that was a real smart comment. Yeah. That's my girl. Yes, I mean, but it is true. I mean, it's, you know, we're way past the period where anybody should be afraid of nuclear weapons. I mean, they have very limited actual real use, and they're extremely expensive, and everybody's learned that. There's a reason China has, like, 200 of them, supposedly. You know, they're really expensive to maintain, and Russia running around threatening everybody with nukes all the time like a like a much more dangerous version of North Korea is comical because I mean you can do the math and you can tell pretty quickly that they don't have the nuclear force that they say they do at least as far as numbers because they just can't afford it I mean our our nuclear weapons program in the United States granted our everything we do costs more and whatever but there is a certain element of uh, there, there are certain hard limits that you hit when it comes to materials and and certain things like that. Yeah, you don't want those things leaking. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Um, the we spend like fifty or sixty billion dollars a year maintaining our nuclear weapons stockpile. That's what Russia spends on their entire military. So, again, obviously, you have different totally different economies and totally different pricing on certain things but you know tritium is tritium it costs fifty thousand dollars a gram for a reason you know there's certain just hard 
hard and fast limits that you just cannot get around. I was at a an event in Tampa, and it was um, I was invited to attend, and is all about um, venture capital in mainly software, some hardware, but it was a venture capital conference. Sure. A fast pitch, slow pitch, fast pitch, you know, presenting your product, et cetera. Sure. I'm not going to mention the guy's name. I'm not going to mention his company, but he and I had an interesting conversation before and then after his, his uh, pitch. And then in the evening at the uh, after party, after after event party and he's a scientist he said you know i'm a bona fide scientist i have my phd blah 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 chemistry and electrical engineering etc and he's i i kind of i felt bad because i said to him i said well you're i'm gonna assume you're about my age and and he said well how old are you i said well i'm 64 and he goes i'm 50. (laughs) oops oops (laughs) foot and mouth again paulie uh yeah he looked a little he looked a little worse for the wear in other words but he told me what he he and his team and he he made a comment like well it's it's my team <clears throat> but they invented a flexible titanium hose and you and I talked about that and what it's used for and and so I immediately said ah okay it's got to be concentric circles cuz it can't have joints and you're in in our space it's used to refuel satellites yeah and we had a i think we talked for maybe 30 35 minutes or so and and he enjoyed it because i was able to keep pace with him on it Mm -hmm. and then he basically eventually i said i kept going on you know all these different well you could do this you could do that he goes he goes you're you're right on he said all those things he said we thought about but that's not how it works (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I said, let me guess, if you told me you'd have to kill me, he said, somebody would. <laughs> but it was interesting because what he said, and you and I had a conversation, I want you to pick up on it. You have to refuel satellites out there. He said, "These are we've got satellites out there that are worth multiples of billions of dollars. These things are expensive, really expensive. And they're spy satellites. And when you move them, he used... So when you move them from Iran over just a little ways over to take a look at Afghanistan, and it, it, there's power loss. And then he was going through what the the fuel fuel loss. What I say power. Yeah, there's fuel loss on it. And he told me what, and I I forgot now what what the what it's some weird thing. You yeah, know? yeah. Different, it's just rocket fuel. They have different rockets use different mixes of very strange fuels. To... But it's like insanely unstable, insanely expensive. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. just, you cannot, you can't miss anything on this. And that was kind of cool. And But those are the things, do you really honestly think the Russians are able to do that? If they are, well, it's no, they insanely don't. expensive. Well, they do that in some on some, and they don't maintain anything as we're seeing when with this this war. True. I mean, if it, it, you know, I, I, I'll let you talk, but I mean, it it flows from the top down, from the bottom up. If if the bottom is that unprepared and just yuck, then it's, it can only you know, there's a limit to how what the quality can be. 
Well, there's in general just a massive cultural problem with Russia that is obvious now when you see them in action. These are things people thought had changed. People were convinced that their contact and interaction with the West had you know, made a more hospitable, more sane country, and that's obviously just not the case. Um, same thing with China. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as satellites go, I remember recently I saw one of these uh, Russian talking heads, one of their state media people was was uh, bemoaning the fact that they don't have the satellite and surveillance capability that NATO does, mainly us. And it's funny because that's, yeah, you know, they, they basically admitted that, yeah, they don't really have the capabilities that we use. And it's because it just costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of horizontal and vertical integration to be able to get things like that done. And, and, and things like that require people who are not on the take and corrupt to the max. Well, exactly. That's, that's why I mentioned the cultural problem. And you can have a great initiative, but, you know, when people are stealing stuff and not doing what they're supposed to be doing and whatever, you know, insert, 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 uh, fill the blank there, you know, it very, something very expensive and complicated falls apart really quickly. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's in general a problem for them. And yeah, I mean, as far as fueling goes, it's funny. Uh, I think it was like in the past year or two, I think it's largely in response to SpaceX and their Starlink constellation of hundreds of little satellites uh, they've changed the rules on once a satellite gets decommissioned how quickly you have to get it out of space and that's of, of course another element of the fuel consumption is you know these these satellites all have rocket boosters on them and you have to be able to na maneuver them and navigate them around and for spy satellites yeah you, you have to get you have to get over your target you know contrary to the uh, flat earth people you have to to move it around the sphere, or the, what do they call it, a, uh, uh, anyway, whatever, the, the weird smushed spheroid that is the, uh, that is the earth. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's no different than, you know, you can go out and buy a million dollar house. You can go out and buy a, a $10 million house. It's, it's not a big deal. And I've had people who will say to me, you know, yeah, that's, you know, that's, I, that's, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Buying is not. Buying is never the issue. It's the maintenance. It's the tax. It's all the cost of owner. Cost yeah. of ownership is so much higher than what people realize. Absolutely. And they get over their heads. So that's a good example using that and applying it to the Russian space agency. So I don't know. I literally I don't know what they have in terms of their military apparatus versus civilian, which is, I'm assuming is all the same uh, there. But, you know, we have, we literally have civilian space programs. Tesla, SpaceX is a good example. Working in cooperation with NASA. And you have others. You have the all the military satellites that go up from Vandenberg and everything else. I mean, sure. We don't have just one launch pad in the U.S. But now let's just say, Russia does something stupid now, which I, I, I expect them to do. I will tell you, my forecasting, I'm still at the 72, 74% chance that there will be some type of a nuclear weapon. And I keep telling people, 
in Tampa who know me and who have I have the intelligence to not run around, you know, fire, fire, pants on fire, hair on fire, because they know we have our military procurement portfolio. Well, what do you think, Paul? And I always say, just you have to be prepared for the worst. And I think that's what you have to be prepared for. But the reality is that you're going to make money on it. Uh, but going back to that, so you got all these Russian satellites. Cool, right? They're cool. Got all of them. How are we getting them down? I, I think it's a legit question because, as you said, now that they've changed the rules from 10 or 20 years, you got two or three years to get them down now. Yeah. And a lot of these things then are targeted to crash any debris into the, into the uh, Pacific, into the Atlantic, into the Indian Ocean, et cetera. And there are ship warnings, you know, you, hey, this, this is not an area to be in. There's a lot that goes into this, you know, not just, the, not just the tracking of these things, but to get them to come down is a big deal. What are, the, what are the codes? And I go back to, I like bringing things where people might remember, it's like space cowboys. You know, you had uh, Clint Eastwood and, and the late uh, uh, James Gardner and, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones, you know. They, yeah. Okay, so you got this big, massive, ugly satellite. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's an attack satellite. Oh, this is not good. Well, that literally foretold, I think, what you were going to have to deal with coming up. Because the Russian economy is going to go to hell in a handbasket. No, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Who's going to come in and clean it up? Where are the codes? Where are those people? Are they going to take some of these people that are working those places and put them on the front line? Because you know and I know they've been doing some of that. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, it's lower level people, but yeah. Um... Or what if somebody's standing in the, at the market and they have a mass shooting like they had today, and so the head of... Uh, you know, the the boy that does the advanced trigonometry and calculus for the Russian satellite program gets his brains blown out. I mean, this do they have enough backup? I, I'm I'm serious. You know, and I know it only takes a handful of people to go yeah, bye bye to for, screw up a company. Well, but for us, I mean, none of that matters. You know, you don't think? No, I mean, those satellites. They're, I mean. It shouldn't be a problem. Okay, maybe it slams into some other satellite. Okay, whatever. Whoopsie. Well, okay. But, let me ask you this: Do we have the capability of, of going up there and destroying them? Do we have killer satellites? Do we officially. have? Not officially. Yeah. Because it's banned, officially. Right. Okay. So officially, it's banned. We're doing a, a wink and nod, but the killer, the uh, the butcher of Syria, is now running the Russian army. Will they release? Gas? Will they try to gas? They've already been using gas. Totally unreported, but yeah, they've been using gas. Okay, let's talk they about that. I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically a. It's basically like really nasty, uh, like CS gas. Of course, that's totally legal for cops to use on civilians, but it's not legal in warfare. It's what where, where uh, whereabouts was that used? Uh, I've seen it in both uh, the eastern side of Ukraine, and then I've also seen it in the uh, Kherson region. Okay. So I did not realize that. We talk all the time. So the Russians have used some gas. Yeah. Nobody, nobody Nobody's reporting on it. No. But, I mean, the Russians are using white phosphorus. The Russians are using um, those little, uh, I can't remember what they call them, the, the pedal mines. Mm-hmm. You know, they're those little pieces of plastic. 
they're notorious for blowing children's arms and legs off in uh, Afghanistan during their Afghan war mm-hmm. because kids would think they, they look like toys. Sure. They'd go and pick them up and boom, blows your arm off. They're not they're not really useful against anything other than infantry. They just they're just designed to injure people and you know it's harassment type of thing. Um, it, Russians have been using illegal stuff the entire war, so you know the reality is is I don't I don't force. I mean they could use more aggressive tactics, but I mean what's more aggressive than slinging? cruise missiles into apartment blocks or or leveling an entire city and displacing a half million people or kidnapping what were up to about half a million children and sending them back to Russia and then putting them into their adoption system and they're they're promoting on their national television about how great it is that they're denazifying these children and they're showing like the effectively the auctioning process of these kids to to Russian families so they can they can have some some Ukrainian children, but that's not in the press. I have a, uh, I have a person in Tampa. I don't, I don't associate with anymore. I won't, I won't have any conversation with her because if she was in the room right now, I know exactly what she would say. She would say, "Oh yes, but this is all about Biden and, and Hunter and the laptop making money yeah, and the bio labs and, and the bio labs and everything something else. about QAnon." And yeah, yeah. Then, I mean, there's there's a huge segment of the 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 former Trump supporting people, the the MAGA people. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively small, but you know, it's a lot of people who are clinging to these things, and you know, they're just nihilistic. I mean, they just they just want an out. Like they know the world that they live in is changing, and they just want somebody to nuke them and in their lives, and they don't have the the kahunas to go out and just to either either cope with reality and move forward with their lives that you know the era of trump and all of his bullshit is over but that's too hard to cope with nope it was stolen it was there are things that were outside of their control happened and you know what daddy putin needs to come in and save us and they just need to they just need to nuke america to give them show them a, show them a lesson and we've talked about it maybe we shouldn't talk about it stupid but yeah you know it's just it's people who are delusional, and the reality is, is every political movement has those people. Um, unfortunately, with the advent of the internet, and a let's just call him a leader who is desperate to maintain some amount of uh, prestige, uh, keeps these people around. I mean, people used to make fun of the Ron Paul people when it's just like, like yeah, I mean, Ron Paul in some aspects had some interesting ideas and he had some interesting policies that he wanted to put forward. But in general, when you looked at his whole set of policies and, and prescriptions, like no, no people weren't going to support him. Just wasn't. Oh, he, and where is he, he at in, now? He's he's doing something with some place. What's that? I have no idea what he's doing. Is he on RT? Oh yeah, he he's been a, a frequent guest on RT for years. Just like for those who don't know, RT is Russia Today. Yeah, I mean, along with people like Tulsi Gabbard and and. Uh, all kinds of other weirdos out there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a whatever. But but the point with Ron Paul is that, you know, in general, people viewed his supporters as kind of loons. But that was the people that he cultivated, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, some of them were a little more kind of uh, unusual than others. Um, but that was him stoking the fire and keeping his little base alive. With Trump, he's doing the same thing. So, you know, the problem is, is you just... People like that never used to get anywhere near power, and uh, yeah, we. You know. it, it, I used to, I always tell people that 
<clears throat> I use Kim Kardashian and Jersey Shore. Of course, the people on Jersey Shore aren't around like they used to. But I, some of them are around. Well, I mean, the, the TV show, or did they come uh, back? I don't know. I mean, I think I think I saw something. I mean, I'm not totally in with whatever the yeah. uh, let's just call it a trash TV is, but I think they did do some type of comeback thing on that. I don't know. Well, I, I depending upon the age of the person, I'll say Jersey Shore. You know, Jersey Shore got elected to be president of the United States, <laughs> and 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 then I um, a gentleman who high ranking in both federal government as high as you can get in our state and major municipal government. I won't go and mention his name. He said, you know, we were talking the other day about, you know, the problem with crime and what people are like and just, just things. We just, he used the word that people don't have, there's no shame. You can't shame people. Nobody cares. It just, there's no shame. Whatever you do, I, I don't care. I think, I think that, if you sit back and look at how people make money, you make money on trinkets and you make a lot of money on people who are stupid. They just, they spend all their money. And, and that's the truth, right? Oh yeah. So my buddy who I worked with at the state attorney's office goes to New York, becomes an, oh, an yeah. award-winning yeah. Emmy, you know, we know who we're talking about. Yeah. He's out of his freaking mind. He's gone from friend to acquaintance to meaningless to you're nuts but is he nuts or is he just fanning the the tards out there that are just well they just buy his his crap well i don't know i I mean that's that's the question you have with a lot of these people is are are (laughs) these people just leveraging the angles that they see and, and and taking advantage of them for whatever personal gain or are they just as delusional as the people that they've got a following from. I don't know. Some of those people are just psychopathic and they don't really care what they're leading people to believe. Um, others, they actually are bought in. So I don't know. And there was a movie with, with Steve Martin. I don't remember the name of it. You know, your mother and I watched it and we were just fascinated by it because I'm of the age. My mother and father took me to some of these, these, uh, tent revivals because it, yeah. it not not to go to get healed or any of that crap but literally to enjoy the show it, it, yeah it was literally you, you need to see this and i think we've done the same thing with you guys i mean i don't think there's there's not much you haven't seen when you were a child oh, yeah. we we expose you to everything but i remember <laughs> well let me do this the 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 movie with Elvis, that new Elvis movie, and he, the little kid is yeah. having a revival, and he's you know seeing everything, and he's passing out. You know, Elvis supposedly is you know influenced by the the black revival church and, and all that. Well, I've seen that stuff. Well, my point being is that you go back to Steve Martin. I can't remember the movie, but he's he's a carnival preacher, you know, and then he paints the blood of of Christ and this big cross that he has and you know but here's the thing everybody who was there <laughs> they all knew it was just bullshit it was just it was just appease the masses get the cash pass the plate everybody feel good be healed and go on to the next place the guy who couldn't walk is when everything is done is lifting uh, <laughs> tables and chairs the one with broken arm the cast is off and doing it just that stuff is real and I you know it's just I, I just don't know if 
if these people that are stoking this uh, are are they are they who's funding them? And I think you and I've talked about this a lot. Even the crazies on the left, right? Everybody needs to be, uh, uh, you know, every boy needs to be uh, denutted. Everybody needs to be, uh, you know, a transgender. Everybody needs to, you know, to give all your guns away and whatever the government says is the right thing to do. You know, and, and, the, and the oceans are going to rise. And we're all going to die from, from global warming in the next three days. You follow the funding for both sides of this thing. I think you're going to see a lot of that money coming from Russia. They, it, it's not a single, it's a multifaceted war that we've been involved in for a long, long time. People just don't want to admit it. No, uh, that's definitely the case. It's definitely the case. I mean, what is it? Under Stalin, they figure out that, you know, their grand ideas of military, militarily conquering Europe and, and the world, basically, was just not going to happen. It's just that's, that's not something that they were going to be able to do. I mean, it became no more obvious when, you know, the German army that was, what, a third of the size of the Soviet army at, the, at, at their peaks, you know, absolutely destroyed them. And without Lend-Lease, like, you know, mm -hmm. Germany would have, would have submitted Russia in World War II. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you know, that world was not something the West... The collective West, mainly the United States and and uh, Great Britain, were willing to tolerate because and know, nobody talks we, about we, the f our our global influence would have diminished under a under a you know very powerful German Empire that basically had a pretty good control over Europe. That, and absolutely nobody gives yeah. credit where credit is due to Harry Truman, the President of the United States, and George Marshall for doing what needed to be done. Well, I mean, it's it's proof that everybody knew that because post-war, the first thing they did was stand Germany back up. They're like, if Germany doesn't stand, then the Soviets are going to march through and they're going to they're going to they're going to mess with Europe just like they're trying to do now. So, but it became really obvious that militarily, Russia would never be able to wage the war that they would need to, or a series of wars to to militarily defeat the West. That's just it was just a literal impossibility. So they, you know, they shifted. Um, I don't, I don't have my names of my lovely Soviet characters memorized exactly, but you know, there, there was a dramatic shift in how they were going to do business and work that plan. And you know, I don't believe for one second that, oh, the Soviet Union is over. Okay, yeah, the Soviet Union as an entity is over, but for all intents and purposes, it was a restructuring bankruptcy. The same people that were in charge of a lot of these government organs they may be new faces but they worked for all these old organizations that were previously named slightly different things under the Soviet system but it now became the Russian Federation there's not a lot that changed a lot of the players even just kind of shifted sideways into a new chair but um, I mean and it's no more clear than you know Russia retained the Security Council seat and everything else in the UN that the Soviet Union had. So the Russian Federation is legally and literally legally and in every other way the successor nation to the Soviet Union. And and that includes ideologically. Like they like I, how many hundreds of pictures of of Russian soldiers do you, do you have to see with Soviet battle flags and Soviet patches on their uniforms and stuff? until people start to realize, oh, 
things really haven't changed in a hundred years. It's these guys are still the. A lot of these people are seriously hardcore communists. They just, uh, you know, putting hiding their hiding their true intentions for the purposes of short term gain. And, and along those lines, it has been a pejorative to say the word. Oh, he's a communist. Oh, you can't say that. Communists, what's, it's not a big deal. They aren't really around. Yeah, they are. There's enough of them that, I mean, well, here, I'll give you a good example. I saw some, I saw some data from some studies in the, or, or research, public research. I think it was even domestic public research, which is even funnier, uh, out of Russia. It was like 70% of people in Russia think that, uh, the uh, Soviet Union was the best time in Russian history. And it was like 64% of people thought that the communist system provided for the average citizen better than the Russian Federation does. That's a real problem. So if that's kind of the general consensus among the population, like all we've just, we've, you know, we haven't shifted forward the way people think we have. We've just ignored and the problem is, is by sitting back and ignoring and acting like, oh, the Cold War is over. Oh, they're our friends now, as many presidents have tried to do. Uh, you know, I mean, what, uh, uh, George W. Bush, by, uh, Obama, and um, Trump all tried this appeasement policy with Russia. Oh, they're just like us. Oh, we can work with them. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, the reality is, is Russia has continued throughout the post-Soviet era to wage war against their neighbors on a consistent basis. You know, first they got the, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it was formerly Georgia, but it's the north, I guess, western part. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and then what they had the situation in Moldova. Now they have their little uh, Transnistria breakaway region. And then you have in 2008, uh, the Georgians and the Russians fought over that South Ossetia region, and the Russians seized that. And then in 2014, they and they they used the weakness of the Ukrainian government as an excuse to officially uno unofficially send just soldiers with no patches on to go in and assist these weird rebel groups that they had been funding for a, a while and take territory from Ukraine, as well as go in and completely seize Crimea. And again, it was in a period of, of transition and chaos for the Ukrainian government because they had had a, their, their, uh, their revolution, that, you know, their protest revolution, basically, that had chased, literally chased, the um, uh, more pro-Russian leader of Ukraine, a guy that, by the way, had run for... I didn't know about this until recently. He ran... Like, what the hell, the hell is his name? Um, uh, Poroshenko, I think. Something like that. Anyways, uh, he, he initially ran for president of Ukraine in like 2000 or 2005 or somewhere in there. And he rigged the election and went to jail for it. But he did but then, stay in jail. No, obviously he did not stay. But then, you know, he comes back a few years later and runs and gets into office. And people are, you know, it was a mess. So it's he interesting. Rigged, he rigged it better the second time. Well, he, he, he rigged it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He got away with it the second time. Um, 
And so, you know, the reality is his entire job was to was to ruin the Ukrainian the Ukrainian government's uh, chances of getting into the European Union economic zone, which was their main thing, because they wanted to be able to sell stuff into the EU and not pay the tariffs and to not be taxed and stuff like, uh, you know, they they're they're next door to Romania. Romania can make the same stuff Ukraine makes, and Romania doesn't pay any taxes when they shipped it to France or Germany or Denmark or whatever, right? But Ukraine does it, and they got to pay tariffs, so it naturally, just it's anti-competitive, or it reduces their competitiveness, right? And there's other, there's lots of other reasons, but the main thing was, is you know, once you get sucked into the European cultural sphere. In the in the economic sphere of influence, it becomes really hard to 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 really get along with the Russians. I mean, they're a pain in the ass, anyways, to deal with. I mean, uh, what? I mean, every all of Russia's neighbors hate them. Go talk to an average Lithuanian or an Estonian or a Latvian or a Pole or uh, any of the stands. Literally, literally any of them. I mean, they will all bitch and complain from now until your ears bleed about how they hate Russians. And it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, this, this like low IQ idiot kind of hatred. They have reasons. They have, they have a millennia of interaction with these people and it's all, it's always done in bad faith. So they just don't like them. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned that, you know, you're running through all the different areas that the Russians have very methodically, uh, seized attacked and and until currently until the current conflict the west just rolled over and was like well sorry guys we would support you but it's russia and we don't want to make them mad yeah and, and the it, first it's, time they got pushback on it and well the only reason they got pushback is because you have a united front that was like desperately fighting and but going back before i forget when i grew up in the 60s we were told extensively and the domino theory. Oh yeah. You know, McNamara, Johnson, Kennedy, Nixon, you know, we ABC, NBC, CBS, you didn't have all the by the way for people who are younger, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have course, yeah. you didn't have satellites, you didn't have that kind of stuff, you know, didn't have Spotify. It's oh, amazing yeah. people think that this stuff has existed since the Civil War. No it hasn't. Um and <laughs> And no, uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't uh, kill the, uh, what was he, killing drugs? Vampires. Vampires, yes. <laughs> oh, you're but it's called the domino theory. You yeah. know, we grew up with that. Well, if ever there has been, this is it, guys. Well, yeah, I mean, so when I said earlier that, that you know, under Stalin, they realized that they wouldn't be able to militarily defeat the West, part of that was... You know, you can you can kind of argue with that and talk about how well why did they invade Afghanistan and why did they uh, do all these other things militarily in Africa and South America and stuff. The part about that that you have to understand is it's about militarily defeating the West. Like they can't de they can't defeat us, but they could submit all kinds of second and third tier countries all over the world easily, and they did. Um, you know. They utilize Cuba to do a lot of that. Oh my God! The, the number of Cubans that fought in the Angolan Wars, Angola against uh, Rhodesia, against uh, South Africa, 
for the better part of 40 years, like the whole nobody Nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about, oh, yeah, South Africa and apartheid and all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into that political quagmire. That's like a third rail that'll just fry you. But nobody wants to talk about, oh, yeah, we were on the side of the Cubans well, for all practical purposes. We were. Yeah, I mean, we just handed it over to them because... Because a lot of people are like, well, you know, Soviet Union's over, so therefore just let them have it because, you know, they're bad because they did some things that people don't like. It's like, well, <laughs> I, if that's, the, if that's the, the standard you got to go to, then I think every country that's, a, that's an enemy of the West would just go under strategic reorganization if that's all it takes to win because that's what happened. Right? Well, that's here, just... and, the, and the, the other thing is just revisionist history. We were fighting the Russians, but primarily the Chinese in, in the, the Korean War. As the Chinese, yeah. Well, the Russians were flying a lot of the, a lot of the airplanes. There, there was a lot of yeah, the, yeah. the MiGs. That, the Chinese didn't have yeah, anywhere well, no, near. The Chinese didn't have the ability But those MiG fights, those were Russian. That was Russian-U.S. Yeah. fights. Yeah. Uh, in Vietnam, same damn thing. You know, we... Well, I mean, well, Korea is, is funny. I mean, people don't really understand that, you know, we fought the Chinese. Like, we've, we've had a war with China. It just was unofficial. We were fighting in Korea, and it was a police action. It wasn't even a war, technically. Kind of like Russia and their special military operation. Um, but the reality is, is, I mean, you know, we had a very significant war with Korea. I mean, in Korea with the Chinese. You know, if, if, we, if the number of people that we ended up killing were... I don't know, anywhere remotely uh, all Korean, then there would be like, there'd be like almost nobody left, or at least not enough to, to have the country that they have today. And the reality is, is we killed, I don't know what the official numbers are or whatever, but the numbers I've seen are somewhere, you know, it's, 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 a, it's probably over 5 million Koreans and Chinese. I mean, it was very much like, like Vietnam. It was a very one-sided war, as all of ours seemed to be. But the problem is, is just, you know, you had the entire country of China sending just effectively infinite people. So we just had to cut a line in the sand. Like, this just has to be over. We, right. We can't just, I mean, and that's, and that's part of why, you know, the... Uh, but the, but uh, going back to those time frames, I mean, that you, you have to wonder, that's why we talked, I mentioned earlier, follow the money. Yeah. You saw, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when you saw a shift... And I can I can I can give you the event for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. the, it was when Vin Cao Ki executed that guy and blew his brains out, and, and we all saw it on TV. Now, everybody talks that that was the turning point, or Kent State, when the girls screaming over the body and the, the, the National Guard shot. There there are events that people say those were defining moments, mm -hmm. uh, defining moment for George Bush when he was standing on the rubble with the fire guy, and he absolutely you know, yeah yeah. You know, whether that was staged or impromptu, who knows? Doesn't make difference. Impromptu, the, based on that, very defining moment. The, the Bush one in particular is impromptu, based on every person I've seen and heard anything about. Yep, yeah, but but those are defining moments, Absolutely, and and yeah. because our nation is no different than everybody else, you know, it's, it's meme based. You know, Absolutely, people are yeah. stupid. Most people are incredibly stupid, as we've learned in the world of finance. You just you want to just scream, you know. When you explain to somebody what we do versus what somebody else does, it's always oh, the same thing, or my guy doesn't charge me. And just you, you, just, you just have to walk away from those people. So the point being is that you have, you, you have the media, and well, this, surprisingly, yeah. I mean, NBC, you know, we, we know who CBS is with, who NBC is with, 
or ABC is with. You know, they're not just three-letter alphabet media outlets, but they tend to favor certain three-letter alphabets in our government. Yes. But then you start to wonder, but you can see the influence by the Russians or the Chinese in yes. the advertising, in the the, the, the the global company advertising, and you start to, it, it just isn't tough to put it together. No. Well, it is interesting, though, because this war in particular, you can see the power of the media because you don't have any of those types of things that have gotten into the mainstream kind of media, um, even though I've seen it. I mean, I've seen... So many dead bodies, so many people get executed, so many just so much horrible shit. It's all out there if you want to find it. But the media isn't covering it because they know that's going to turn people off. And that's not something we can afford right now. We can't afford the populace getting mad about this or or wanting it to end. It's it's got to come to its completion, you know. And yes, it's a war. Bad shit's going to happen. Yep. Literally, the whole point of it is. You kill one side until you, you. Each side is killing the other side until somebody cries uncle. And in Ukraine's position, you know they are justified in doing almost anything, in my opinion, because they're the ones being invaded. Well, you know, all the arguments of the anti-war people from the, you know, anti-war people that we protested in F for us invading Vietnam or Afghanistan or or uh, Iraq or any of that stuff. Um, you know, those same arguments apply still. Like, these are people that are defending their what they think is their country. Now, the difference is, is it's in a legitimate democracy, and it's, 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 a, it's a country that's run by its people, not some shithead dictator, like, or, or a warlord state like you had with Afghanistan, or like you had with Saddam, or you had with, uh, you know, whatever the weird quasi-cluster, you know what, in Vietnam. Um, you know, it's a country that legitimately existed and has internationally recognized borders and internationally recognized government. And there's absolutely no reason, there's no justifiable reason to allow what's going on. You know, there's, there's, there's no way to look at this and come up with some type of stupid argument that justifies what the Russians have done. Other than just Russian, blatant, naked Russian paranoia and imperialism. Or a combination of the two, you know. You know, several times I've said to you, I wish we, pardon me, pardon me, would like to put up all of the pictures and all of the things that we have and, and put it up for clients only, which we, we still have to talk about that because you have done an amazing job of curating so much of this. And uh, my fear has always been that, you know, we would, we would get the ire of the federal government and somebody would just quote-unquote, trump up charges on something, and I, I don't want to deal with that. But if, if, if people saw what we've seen from a distance, we're not there. It's just, yeah. and all the, all the interviews of people, just, it's, yeah. it's, it is a bloodbath. And, and it's the Ukrainians' children well, so that's the thing, have been abducted. Well, so that's the it's, thing. It's like, I just, uh, it's a bloodbath in both directions. And it, but it's different. And so here's the thing. I mean, Russians, the Ukrainians have been pretty transparent um, with their casualties and battlefield deaths and stuff. 
on both sides themselves as well as what they estimate based on their their reports because you know it's it's a it's a fairly professional military and yeah they have people fill out their after action reports just like we do and you know they the information filters up up through the command structure where the russians you know it's it's just a it's 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 what is it it's uh it's the wizard of oz over there everything's fake it's all just it's whatever whatever satisfies the 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 whack the whacked out minds of the people that run the country. Yeah, that's, the, that's the, the, the POW camp that the Ukrainians blew up and incinerated everybody. That was Ukrainians that did yeah, it. Yeah, well, we all yeah, know, yeah. Poor yeah. shit. Yeah, it's just, there's so many stupid things like that. Um, but, but so on, on point is that the, you know, Ukrainians have been pretty honest. They have, I guess, somewhere between somewhere between ten and 15,000 uh, battlefield deaths. So that's far. a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but in the grand scheme of things, of full-on, full-scale modern conventional war, it's not. Correct. It's not. It's rapid, but I mean, these are two countries that are. It's a lot of distance, and it's a lot of modern, modern conventional warfare. Russia, on the other hand, is approaching about sixty-five thousand, and that's just deaths. And in Vietnam, the entire time frame in Vietnam, we lost yeah, about that. Yeah. In eight years, and then but we in, also managed to kill like three million of those of the uh, Vietnamese. And then in Afghanistan, I think we've lost what like three thousand. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. fairly. I mean, it's in the grand scheme of things. In, I, in Iraq, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraq is, is like three times that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, Iraq was. I mean, it's hard to even draw the line in the sand because I mean Iraq was three wars. Right. I mean, in modern sense. I mean, in we. I mean, in in my lifetime, we fought four wars in Iraq. We fought Saddam to get him out of Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. That's something else people don't ever realize. Is in the first Gulf War, we also kicked the Iraqis out of Saudi Arabia. So the Saudi Arabians like have no. They 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 should have. They should kiss our feet every time we do anything for them. Because, I mean, they, we could have just let Saddam Hussein roll over him. It probably would have been more convenient for us in hindsight. But anyways. Yeah, the um, Saudis are not a friend of ours. And some of our friends over there are not friends of ours. No, their government is, is just, they're two-faced, always has been. Um, I mean, but they're also two-faced to their own people. I saw a poll, 70-something percent of uh, the princes that you know, have effectively no power. They're just part of the, the family structure. Uh, would would prefer a coup right now to remove the current uh, leadership of of the Saudi Arabian government. Yeah, so. they, they, it, it, in the next two or three years, something's going to happen. It'll break over there. Yeah, I mean, it's just unstable. Um, but so you know, with with regard to Iraq, I mean, yeah. So you had the first Gulf War, which you know at the time Iraq was the number one client state of the Soviet Union and was the third or fourth largest military in the world, depending on how you measured it, and. You know, a six-week air war and a four-day ground war, and we completely destroyed them with a humiliating, uh, you know, uh, death and casualty ratio in our favor. Um, I mean, I think we ended up having more friendly fire incidents among our own people than they ended up actually getting in of any of our people. It's just like it's just they suck, and. When so you had the first Gulf War, and the, you know if we were to have fought Russia at full strength, pre-Ukraine, 
it would look like the first Gulf War again. Like Russia is Iraq, like two thousand or uh, nineteen ninety two. Like yep. that just is what it is. But then in two thousand three, we invaded, took took out Saddam, whatever. That's really the the next war that we fought. I mean, because we we beat the regular Iraqi government and we we were able to take it over and then put together a transition plan. And again, that was extremely decisive, almost no casualties, whatever. But the thing people kind of blend together is everything that came afterward. And the reality is, is they were very distinct events. The war was over. When you have that famous picture of George Bush on the deck of that aircraft carrier, you know, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever the famous phrase is uh, that they, the, the, the declaring victory. Well, it was true. I mean, the war was over for all practical purposes. I mean, it was a police action from then forward. We defeated the Iraqi military, finally. Did what his father was unwilling to do. Right. And uh, whatever. But then came the suicide bombing and the insurgency. And that took a while for, you know, the bad actors to put together. So, you know, there were a lot of people there. They're like, okay, well, war is over. We're just helping these people, you know, kind of reconstitute their government and rebuild their infrastructure because unlike the Russians, when we go and invade somebody, we go and blow up all the shit that makes a government work. We take out your cell towers, we take out your power plants, we take out your government coordination facilities, we take out everything because it is not worth having this nightmare that doesn't end, which is the Russians are learning that mistake. Again, they're learning mistakes that could should have been obvious for any military commander that stutters modern warfare, but Again, they're lazy and obviously not that bright. So, um, you know, then there was this insurgency war. And, you know, from everything that we know now, uh, it's pretty obvious that Russia and Iran and, uh, and other unsavory actors, but primarily Russia and Iran, helped organize and, and, and supply and whatever this insurgency so that it lasted and was extremely painful for us. They tried to turn Iraq into our Afghanistan, or like we did to them with Afghanistan in the 80s. Um, didn't work because, you know, as uh, there are some very famous stories of different places where, you know, you had special forces guys would go in and they would just go take over an entire town and they would just go and kill all the bad guys. And people may not like the way it happened, and people may not like that there were uh, there was collateral damage. But the reality is, is you know, they would go in, they would clear a town or a city or whatever, and you would go months without having any terrorist bombings and suicide bombings and all that crap, because it turns out either people were too afraid to do something or they all got splatted. And it's it's it was you know it is what it is. I mean, you just you had to get brutal with these people to to solve the problem. And, you know, but eventually that went away because people realized that it's just not worth it. I mean, how many, how many more tens of thousands of people have to get killed in just hilariously stupid ways for no gain? Because it's not going to work. So that basically kind of went away. And then I guess around the time Obama got into office, they were talking about strategic drawdowns and they were trying to figure out how to get out of Iraq. And then ISIS happened. And then you had a whole other war in Iraq that bled over into, or bled over from Syria, that turned into this big mess. 
and ISIS that suddenly, instantaneously, overnight had all this equipment and all of these people and all of this. ISIS is its own topic for like so much extra discussion, and even then, I don't think I totally understand everything. But I mean, I've got a, I've got a good understanding of it in general. But it's a mess. It's it's a mess. It was a State Department mess from top to bottom. Uh, I mean, if you want to believe RT, then yeah, that's it was. No, no, no. Yeah. What I'm, yes, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it was from the the, the high level thinking that I'm just saying State Department. The high level thing, the people didn't think that thing through. No, it's it was we're going to destabilize assholes that are against us, and things got out of control, and then really nasty people got involved. And propelled it forward. Right. And you know, here's the thing. This way I would word it. I'll use a law enforcement background. You've got a couple of gangs that are fighting each other. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to knock things down. Be careful for the, you know, be careful what you wish for. Because it's sometimes it's better to know the enemy that you've got rather than one you don't have. And Absolutely. so, you know, okay, so we're going to side up with these guys. We need some help. And all of a sudden, well, this new guy now is, is as bad or worse and as soon as the opportunity chance that they're going to turn on you. I mean that's that's the kind of thing that there there was no winners there. There was no there were no friends. There's everybody was an enemy. I mean the whole area is just one giant poo center. Yeah, I mean I I don't know. I mean it's a matter of perspective. Hindsight's always 2020. I understand that. I mean given the information different people had at different times, I mean there may have legitimately been a good opportunity, but the reality is, is it, how it turned out, it was ugly. And so in Iraq in particular, you know, there was this fourth war in 20 years that we ended up having to fight, or what, 20, 25 years, I guess, um, that we ended up fighting. This time we took a back seat and kind of did the, did the Vietnam approach. We're going to supply a lot of munitions. We're going to have special forces and training and assistance, but we're going to let the Iraqi army that we previously spent, you know, the better part of the past 15 years training and equipping and, and, and getting set up, we're going to let them fight. It's their country. They should fight for it. And Yeah, it didn't turn out so well. No, it turned out great. I mean, you know, between American strategic support, special operations, and... In the Iraqi military, uh, we killed like six hundred thousand of them. No, no. What I'm saying and about we just yeah. we just painted the painted the desert red with these assholes. The problem is, is there's just still a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of people to deal with. And I was reading the other day of a story of a guy who uh, was over there volunteering, helping the Kurds, and um, he talked about this incident where these ISIS guys came over a ridgeline and just in mass numbers, like thousands of them. And the Peshmerga, I think, were, uh, you know, their military, the Kurds, they were they were fighting these these uh, lunatics off, and they just kept coming and just wave attacks like some shit out of a Soviet World War II movie. And he said eventually one of the Kurds pulled up one of these old Soviet anti-aircraft guns that was on a perch, and brought it down to ground level and just started just started mowing people down in the hundreds. And it was just like. He said, "He said this. This guy was a Vietnam vet, and he he just like turned away. It's just like even even when it's righteous, you know, when you kill enough people, you just have to kind of turn away and look because it's just gross." <laughs> and he said, "In that moment, there were women 
holding children kind of at where he was, which is way, 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 way in the rear, uh, in the, at, at the outskirts of a city. And he said, and these people were all excited and cheering it on. And, you know, they were there as the last line of defense, basically, for the city. And, uh, you know, like nursing said, your kid with your rifle next to you. Yeah, and stacks of magazines ready to, ready to, ready to lay, lay down the hate if, if they got close enough. And, you know, it was, it, it was just an interesting anecdote that he mentioned. That it was in that moment that he realized that, you know, you're never going to defeat the Kurds. Like, there's just there's absolutely no way you could do it. Because if you've got that type of stuff going on, you know, the women aren't running away. They're just, they're on, they're on the battlements prepared for if it gets close enough with their children. Like, you can't defeat that enemy without killing them all the last person. And that's a similar situation to what you've got going on in Ukraine. The Ukrainians, one, would have... A lot of them would have fought regardless, but they're emboldened now. They know they can win. They're, they know they're smarter than the Russians. They have a better military. They have a manpower advantage now, and they have for a while. Um, they really have, ha have had a manpower advantage since the beginning. The problem was always training and equipment. But now that they have this constant supply of resources from the West, they really don't have a huge issue of supply anymore other than they just need to figure out their own, their own internal logistics. There's some longer range problems they have with repairs for more complex vehicles and things that they're going to have to figure out. I mean, a good example is, is if you have like, uh, you know, you don't have, you don't have your field repair people and stuff like you do in our military. There's not, it's just not super well oiled and, and, and going, but they'll figure it out. They're, well, they're the, smart the, people. The, 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 the speed at which they've muscled up use that yeah. it's just amazing to me yeah so i mean you know now you have a few months later and they've got you know roughly you know about a million people in their military and you know they have about you know i think it's five to seven hundred thousand people that are actual combat arms like you know whatever trained ready to go and you know, every, what is it, I think the British just finished their second batch of training, uh, their second batch of 10,000 uh, training uh, Ukrainian soldiers. So they've, they've now trained uh, 20,000 and they're training the next 10,000 already. You've got training centers that have been stood up in different countries all along Eastern Europe for specific skills or for uh, general infantry training. And the thing is with a lot of, or, or even officers training and stuff like that, and a lot of those are things that we were doing anyways. There's, uh, we've, we've been helping them since 2014 retrain their military to kind of NATO standards because part of the reasons the Russians were able to walk over them and, or walk all over them in 2014 was because they, they were a, a Soviet satellite state army still. They just... It was a political prestige thing. They didn't really know how they, I mean, they wanted to fight, but they just didn't have the organizations and the structures to properly fight a real war. And, you know, now you have a country that is largely getting better and getting closer to kind of NATO standard. Um, some units a lot are very close to NATO standard by comparison to others. Um, and there's active training going on. And then, like, for those guys coming back from Britain, a lot of those guys are also now going to be integrated into training units, and they're going to train other guys what they learned. You know, they spent three or six months or whatever, three or four months, I think, in Britain being taught by people who 
you know, that's what they do. That's what they've done. And now they get to go teach what they've learned back to guys that don't get the opportunity to go to Britain. But that's a force multiplier, right? I mean, one guy can teach 10 guys easily. So you just multiply that out. You very quickly get a well-trained military. But more importantly, I think the thing is nothing beats, there's, there is no training in the world that beats real experience. And the Ukrainians have had a lot of success so far. And going forward, they have a lot of really highly skilled, purely from real world experience in this war so far. And the average quality of a Russian soldier is going down, it's not going up. Where the Ukrainian is going the opposite way. You know, if you kind of just if you mentally imagine a chart, the Russians started the war with a lot more soldiers than the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians had to you know, prevent people from leaving the country. They had to create an institution of uh, conscription that they haven't really needed to use because they just have had so many volunteers from the get-go that they can't even let them all in. You still have people that in February and March and put their name on a list for, I want to join the military, that they still are like, you're in a queue. Like, we'll get to you if we need you, but like, sorry. <laughs> like, I know you want to fight, but we just literally don't have the facilities to equip and train and put you someplace. Um, where the Russians are on the opposite end of that. I mean, we, we mentioned here earlier, 65,000 roughly battlefield deaths on the Russian side. But that's just deaths. Casualties are deaths plus injured. And that number in a modern war is anywhere between three to three to five, maybe even a little bit more than that, are going to be casualties uh, injured. You know, so the Russians have burned through their entire professional military so far. And that's the scary part for them is now they're they're getting these conscripts out on the battlefield and then to you know I'll add one last thing that I saw some news stories that Russian media is starting to get kind of pissed off because you've had guys that were sent out they were conscripted went for their one week of training sent to Ukraine landed someplace in Ukraine on October sixth and came back. In Russia, they put they put dead people in a zinc box. They sent them there. They came back to where they they came back home in a zinc box by the twelfth. Yeah, it's like that's a that's a quick turnaround. Yep, and that doesn't surprise me because these people have almost no training. They're home on permanent leave. Yeah, I mean, so you know, you you start to play the numbers. I mean, I don't know where Russia gets the reserves they need to win the war that they want to win. And well, that goes back to what you talked about, how you know, you, you, you're looking at more volatility. I've said the entire time, I don't know how they even got to this point without basically just trying to find a strategic way to back off. Because it's, it, all roads end with ugliness for yeah. Russia. You know, just finishing up now, yeah. from a pure economic standpoint and forecasting, uh, I'm, I'll give you a quick little thing and let you... Give me yours and I'll wrap it up. Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Recorded in the break room of the Truesdell Professional Building. This episode of the Paul Truesdell Podcast is sponsored by Fixed Cost Financial. I believe sincerely that, yes, the stock market hasn't performed the way people want. Yes, there's inflation. There's a lot of issues, yada, yada, yada. All you're seeing is a 
concophony of events that have taken place at the same time, okay? Meaning that debt, boomer, aging, workforce, this idiot COVID thing, a lot of things came, to, came in all in one time, but there's a fundamental shift in the mindset, in what it means to be an American, what it means to be not an isolationist, but to be protective of the nation, of North America, of South America. I think you're going to see a renewed Monroe Doctrine. I think you're going to see an even greater naval presence. If I was investing, it's going to be drones, special forces, and Navy. Of course, satellites as well and everything else. Oh, yeah. I think you just you you have to have somebody who's a big man on campus. Somebody has to be the cop because the children don't play well. And well, we're the big guy on the on the block. And the reality is, the only way we're going to not be the big guy on the block is somebody has to displace us. And so far, happen. all of our challengers have been pathetic excuses for arrival. And you know, I think a lot of that is is is. People don't want to admit the reality that we are that far ahead because if you do, then people kind of rest on their laurels. Right, which we have on many occasions. And yeah, and I just, I just think you know, economically, I think that this is this is people who are actually can can digest this information yeah. will go, holy crap! We may go through some rough periods. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death right now? On the other side, it looks beautiful, and I think we're we're just uh, you just got to dig with it, man. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, yes, the current economic situation is not optimal, but it's also not really bad. Um, you know, for some people in some isolated places or occupations, yeah, maybe maybe more rough than others. But the reality is, is we are not approaching anywhere near what we had in two thousand eight. Or other prior, you know, economic issues. And right now, the main issue in my outlook is really simple. It's a total reorganization of the global economy. Yep, that's a hundred percent what's going on. And we have inflation that is largely driven supply side. Yep. Um, there's some monetary inflation because of all the money printing from COVID and all of that, but. It's not an. It wouldn't be as high. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't account for the percentages that we're looking at now. We're we're really looking at supply side inflation, largely due to energy. It's it's the largest input in any economy. Um, the U.S. is 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 has a lot of insulation against uh, Europe by comparison. I mean, you know, we don't have twenty percent inflation like Britain does. We don't have you know a literal dying industrial center or a sector like Germany does. You know, the un unspoken about items that we can get into in another episode is... Um, is it the transfer is, of is German companies to the exactly. U.S.? Yeah. yeah. It, is, it has to do with energy. Like, right. Germany just won't have reliable, the reliable surpluses of energy that they had under this deal with the devil they had with Russia ever again. And see, the other thing that is never discussed... Go ahead, unless, finish. Unless... Russia totally disintegrates and everything, uh, you know, kind of uh, west of the Urals 
somehow is under new leadership and is under uh, control of uh, some type of European bingo uh, a puppet state and you know the reality is I think that's just that's a gas station turn on the pumps yeah yeah exactly and I mean and here's the thing it doesn't mean there aren't people worth living there there aren't it, I mean you know you don't you, in general I think a lot of people will think like oh you're just gonna what you just wipe out the population for uh, some gas like no I mean most most of those people you know most of those Russians I'm sure are perfectly capable of being integrated into a, a Western economy but the problem is is you know they have to they have to face the reality that their country is a giant pile of shit and needs to be destroyed and if you know, people don't like that then you know tough shit because like this is just not something in the modern era that people do we don't we don't invade neighbors and genocide their civilian population because question mark right like they you know what I mean it's just that's just not something we do anymore so no you have to you have to be destroyed that's just as what it is. But yeah, I mean, in the future, I think there's there's likely a possibility that something like that could eventually play out purely because Europe doesn't want to be always beholden to us, right? We're perfectly capable of being kind of, I don't know, friendly rivals. We, we benefit right? from a very strong European Union. I, I, I think so, yeah. Um, but they also don't want to be, you know. You have economic, of, you have economic comp competition, yeah. but what you don't have is military competition. No, no. no. You have military cooperation yes. to keep the sea lanes, the airways open, yeah. the 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 space free. Yeah. That's a big deal. Well, that's going to be so. It's all about transportation, and that's going to be extremely necessary going forward because the U.S. just doesn't have the population or the. Um, required military that everybody's going to need going forward because yep. I mean this is again stuff for another episode in detail but um, the disintegration of China is coming um, China is the, the their best days are behind them and it's over and the reality is that when China starts to disintegrate and the global order reorganizes around mainly mainly the Americas, North and South America, and Europe, then there's gonna be a lot of troublemakers left out there in the world. And that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a problem to deal with. And you know, there's a question as to how you deal with that. I am highly skeptical that we're going to resort to methods that were attempted in the past thinking things like colonialism and other kinds of uh, weird economic subjugation. I think that's unlikely. So, you know, it's going to be interesting how it shakes out. But, yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's the world we're looking at. And that's that's the structure, I think, at least in global, global power that is going to be necessary to kind of hold it all together. Let's wrap it at this. We'll come back and we'll continue this. Uh, we got to get out of town. we got to fly out of here on business. So... Let's put this one to bed and I'll do a little post-production and get it up and we'll uh, get back into a regular flow of this. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Well, that was a uh, fun little podcast that we, uh, well, a conversation we had while we were sitting in our break room. One of the things that I want to emphasize is that we do this when we have time. We're really busy and lately it's been a little bit kind of nutso. So for those of you who are regular listeners to the Paul Truesdale podcast, Two Pauls in a Pod, 
we do apologize for not having a more regular schedule, but again, just bear with. We think we've turned the corner and we're going to be doing this a little bit better in terms of scheduling. And then as a result, you'll notice that the quality of the audio was eh, so-so. Well, I think we've kind of figured out how we want to do this. We do a lot of conversations in our break room here at the Truesdell Professional Building. We're located one mile from the Ocala International Airport and one mile from Interstate 75. So quite literally, we can get in the car, go from the office and be wheels up or wheels on the road in 15 minutes. Kind of a neat little thing. People will ask us, why are you located in Ocala? Well, it's horse country, it's ranches, it's uh, a nice quality of life and uh, we can get down to Orlando and to Tampa, to Jacksonville, to Daytona, and we can get all parts of the country we want here in the East Coast and Southeast real rapidly. So that's why we're here and we do what we do. And again, we do this little podcast called Two Paul's in a Pod. Now, what's important to always remember, never forget, is that this is not our only podcast. We provide a tremendous amount of podcasts literally every day to clients by way of their dashboard. Some clients get individual podcasts, some get group podcasts. And so if you're interested, give us a call at 212-433-2525. That's 212-433-2525. If your phone number is in our database, we'll answer. If not, you're going to get the auto attendant. Leave your name, telephone number, and a detailed message. And one of our lovely staff people will get a hold of you and we'll have a conversation. Go to fixedcostfinancial.com. That's fixedcostfinancial.com. You'll be glad you did with that. We're out of here. Hasta luego. Adios. Until next time. Bye. information about some of the other Truesdell companies, visit truesdell.net. That's Truesdell, spelled T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L.net. Use the contact form if you would like to be on our email notification list as to when a new podcast is available. You're gonna end up eating a steady diet of government cheese and living in a van down by the river. Now, young man, what do you want to do with your life? Well, actually, I kind of want to be a podcaster. Oh, no. No, no, no. Well, I freaking die. You stupid. They're not. What's 9 plus 10? 21. You stupid. People got no respect for the brain dead? There's a garbage can in the northeast corner. You drop the bags and leave. I'd like to start with a list of people I can do without. A proctologist with poor depth perception. Any woman whose hobby is breastfeeding zoo animals. A cross-eyed nun with a bullwhip and a bottle of gin. 
a waitress with a visible infection on her serving hand. And any man whose arm hair completely covers his wristwatch. Okay, that's enough of that.